Welcome to the Small Baller Podcast. My name is Trevor Reddick, and as always, I'm joined by a man who is just itching to talk about all things sports, Brandon Siegel. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I haven't been on in so long, and I'm so happy to be back. Sadly, it's uh, without the third co-host of this podcast, Ben O'Brien. Um, he will be without us today, uh, which is very sad, but hopefully next week all three of us are back on. Um, Trevor, I haven't been on in so long. I feel like I'm all out of the loop. Um, Tom Brady uh, came back and became even more of a diva than he already is somehow. Um, and now he's back. We had NFL free agency. We had so much going on. Um, so I feel as if it's necessary. I, I give a little rant. You, you think it's kind of rant time? I want to rant about the NFL a little bit because yeah. a lot happened. Go ahead. So... Let me let me. I'm I'm only gonna do a little bit because you guys talked about free agency. I don't. We don't need to go into extensive detail. Um, but NFL free agency was crazy, as everyone knows. The first thing I want to talk about is Deshaun Watson, because uh, there's a lot to talk about here. I don't want to talk about any of the legal stuff. That's a whole nother, you know, book. Okay, to you know, we don't need to discuss that. I'm just gonna talk about the play and his contract because I like contractual stuff. That's where more my expertise is with this stuff. Deshaun Watson is the worst contract I've ever seen in sports. I've never seen a worse contract. It's great for one year, and then after that, it's terrible. I have never seen a fully guaranteed contract quite like this one. I mean, there's numbers he reaches where he's getting 56 million or 55 million cap hits, and you can't even do anything about it. There's nothing they can do. They can't move it to a signing bonus, really. It's all against the cap until 2026. There's no out. There's nothing the Browns can do. So, now let's talk about this a little bit. Deshaun Watson is an amazing talent, and I think if he plays well, it's semi-worth it. But here's the, the big issue. The Browns are playing for this year. The, the cap hit this year is very low. It's only $10 million. He's probably not going to even play half the year. He'll probably be out six or eight games, um, which is interesting that they're playing for this year. Because next year, the Browns are completely screwed up with the cap. Uh, they're, they're in a lot of trouble. This year, the Browns are actually in a really good cap situation. They have like 18 to $20 million more dollars. Uh, they have 60 players under contract. They can actually do a lot. They can be patient. They can make moves, uh, trade some picks, get some players. I, I, I'm actually kind of down with what the Browns are doing for this year. But it's weird to me. They're planning their team, and they're doing things for this year, and they're doing things that I wouldn't do. Now, I'm in no way better than Andrew Barry. I don't know as much as him at all. Um, but what's interesting is that Watson's not going to play for half the year, and they're signing all these big contracts for this year. Baker Mayfield's contract won't be moved. He'll probably have to stay on the team, and they're just going to have to eat the $18 million. If they were to get rid of him, they would have even more contractual room. I'm sure they're not the happiest with them because they could have made even more moves and been in a better position for this year. But, like, it's interesting. They're doing what the Rams are doing, Trevor, uh, last year. Mm-hmm. They're playing yeah. for this year, but the Rams were close. The Browns weren't close. Browns didn't even go 500, or maybe they went just 500. So it, that's a little bit confusing to me. The Amari Cooper trade is confusing to me. Um, I know fans are like, oh, my God, they got Amari Cooper for a fifth-round pick, but they're also eating $20 million of salary each year. And they did restructure it, and it was good restructure where it seems like they're pretty much just going to have him for one year. But at that place, why don't you just keep Jarvis? I feel like Jarvis is better than Cooper. And he is a little bit more money, but it's only a one-year contract. You have no contractual obligation past this year. So I didn't completely understand that. Last quick thing on Watson I want to talk about. Browns completely screwed going forward. Completely screwed. Next year, 2023. I'm not talking about in two years. 2023, the Browns have 29 players signed under contract. 
Those 29 players account for $212 million of cap allocation, according to uh, SportTrack. So, or SpotTrack, excuse me. So, I don't know where they're signing 25, 30 more players with literally negative cap room, um, but they're going to have to figure out something uh, to, to do, and they got a lot of shoes to fill. It doesn't seem like Denzel Ward will be back on this team um, anymore. I doubt Clowney is going to sign again this year. They're going to have a whole at the end. Um, then the following year, in 2024, the Browns have 181 total cap allocated for 19 players. They need to sign 40 players for $30 million. That's crazy. That's mm-hmm. nuts. No tight ends under contract that year. They have almost no linebackers under contract. They have almost no secondary players under contract that year. Their offensive line is down to only two players. So they are in a lot of trouble. And we can keep on going on. 2025, they have only eight players under contract for $131 million. They literally need to sign 50 players for $70 million in contract room. Um, and then the last year, it's pretty much just Miles Garrett and uh, Deshaun Watson signed for $90 million in total. So the Browns have a lot to go through. Last thing I want to talk about with free agency, let's get off the Browns. I just want to call out one deal that I absolutely love. Teron Armstrong to the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins, I think, made some very solid moves. Tariq Hill was an interesting get. I would never trade for a receiver. That's another conversation. The contractual obligations to Teron Armstrong, I absolutely love. This year, it's only a $4 million hit. I think they'll restructure it again. Um, and get some of that back for sure. Next year, it's a big hit, $20 million and $16 million against the cap. But after three years, it's an out. He's 33 years old. They're definitely going to opt out of that. They're not going to keep him past that. It's too old for a starting left tackle. Um, but they get literally the best tackle in the game for three years for relatively good numbers. That final year is a $17 million cap hit, $20 mil for the top end, top year, which is next year. I really like this deal. Uh, and they can cut them after that and, and have huge cap savings. Honestly, they can have cap savings in that year three if they really wanted to, too. So, really great deal for the Dolphins. I, I'm excited to see how they play this year. It's definitely going to be a more competitive division for the Bills. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think rant over, Trevor. Uh, <laughs> any, anything you'd like to add to NFL? I know you guys already talked about it, so there's not much more to talk about. Yeah, so I mean, obviously a ton of teams in the AFC made a lot of moves uh, to put themselves in, in better positions. I mean, with the Browns, I mean, obviously you, you look at the cap stuff a lot. I don't look at it nearly as much, but I I'd certainly do agree with what you said. But at the same time, I think the only thing that I would say uh, in response is that specifically with the Browns franchise, I mean, they haven't, you know, really, I mean, they had one winning season with Baker you know, the year before this past year. But outside of that, you know, they're never really in a position to compete. They've had so many years in a row where where they've just been utterly miserable. So, yes, it's definitely a win-now move. And, yes, beyond this year, they have a lot of issues. They have a lot of things that they're going to need to figure out. And we don't know what's going to happen, like, as far as, like, is Watson going to be suspended four games, six games? You know, like, we have no idea. What I would just say is that, when you have a chance, if you're a franchise like the Browns, and you can get, just from a football standpoint, a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, um, you know, you're going to have to probably need to put more money in than other teams are because the Cleveland Browns, let's just call it what it is, it's not an attractive destination for free agents, you know, just like no, the not. Detroit Lions isn't an attractive free, yeah. free agent destination, you know. 
the the most attractive markets are like the LA Rams. That's what you know. That's one of the reasons they were able to get Stafford and some of these other guys, or like yeah. maybe one of the or I I don't know. I don't know about the New York teams, but like you know maybe the Patriots are an attractive destination. Maybe the Steelers are an attractive destination. Maybe the Baltimore Ravens yeah. are because all of these teams have great franchises, great organizations, yeah. um, and, great great coaching, all that kind yeah. of stuff. So for this move for the Browns, and they got unlucky because. The Chargers made a lot of moves. The Dolphins made moves. The Broncos got Russell Wilson, but they they can compete. They certainly could compete. I if the Browns are sitting at you know, and again the Watson suspension, we don't know, but if the Browns are sitting and they're you know I don't know ten and seven, eleven and six going in the playoffs, you know like they have a shot. I I do, and that's not something I would have said last year with Baker Mayfield because I never thought of Baker Mayfield as a quarterback that could win a Super Bowl. I think Deshaun Watson right. is that quarterback right. that could yeah. potentially and, win you a Super Bowl. And I'm not saying, I'm, I wasn't trying to say that I think getting Watson is the bad move. In fact, I, I think years ago I said this is exactly what they should do is mm-hmm. get rid of Baker as soon as possible and just put, go all in for a quarterback. And they did do that. What's interesting to me is you're doing this knowing he's not playing half the year, most likely. And yeah, we'll see. he very well could be suspended for the whole year. They could just make an example out of it and just be like, you're done for the whole year. And this completely screws the uh, Browns over. I mean, like, I just don't know. To me, like, the moves that Barry's making, like, from an outsider's perspective, I'm like, I don't understand the plan. Is the plan to win now? Is it to win in four years? Like, when you get a quarterback in this magnitude, the Broncos aren't expecting to win this year. They're just not. It's just not even plausible. Even if Watson played the whole year, it's so unlikely a new quarterback comes in like that and just wins. And well, we saw it with Brady. Well, we, we've Brady seen had... it. We saw it two years in a row, though. We saw it with Brady. We saw it with Stafford. So from that aspect, I disagree. I think Watson could well, be, so, could so be awesome. Here's the difference, though, with those two teams. There's a big difference. Those two teams were primed and ready. You saw the year before the Bucks went 7-9 and nine with an immense amount of talent around Jameis Winston, who threw 30 touchdowns with 30 picks. You limit to half those picks, they make the playoffs. What do you think, the Rams were bad before Stafford got there? No, they went to a Super Bowl with Goff. So that's what I don't understand. That's my point, is that the Browns aren't that close. They weren't that close. Uh, I don't know. And they're throwing everything but the kitchen sink to win this year when it's not nearly as plausible as just getting... You're one piece away. One, you know, if the Steelers went this past year, if they went to the Super Bowl with Ben Roethlisberger, and then you were to get an upgrade like like a Russell Wilson or a Deshaun Watson, they'd obviously win. Yeah. I would say they'd win. They're one piece away. They literally made it. The Browns didn't even make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you know, but, how but are they, we saying they're that close you know, in a season? The Browns were relatively healthy too. Well, ba- you know? I mean, like, Baker Mayfield you know. just sucks. He didn't have. Mayfield he just was sucks. Injured. Doesn't matter if he's hurt or he, out. He just sucks. He, he was hurt though. Like, and then before that year, they did make the divisional round. Like, so I, I think like it's not like I mean, how different is the team? Uh, so besides the quarterback, from what it was when they took the Chiefs to the and Mahomes got hurt. I mean, they they they, they almost bombed beat the, the offense. All receivers and and the tight receivers. Ends are different. The receivers, yes, but. I mean, they still have a really good offensive line. The running backs... They do. Well, well you know. now it, it got worse this year. Treader is gone. Okay. So it, it's it's definitely decreased. I mean, Treader's going to get... Wherever he signs, he's going to get some huge deal. So he's, he's the, yeah, he was yeah, the yeah. top-rated center every year he was there. So I, I just don't think that they're that close to be like, let's guarantee $270 million to a guy who has 22 you know, sexual assault cases against him who's not even going to play the first year. 
it, so it's tough. That's just I my mean, opinion on it. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll just have to yeah, see, we'll, like, how it plays we'll out. We'll have here. to see. We'll have to see. Maybe it works out. Maybe I'm completely wrong. If it doesn't work this year, it will not work the rest of his time there. They just don't have the cap room to do it. They don't. Um, but let's let's move on to a really fun segment we have here. We actually have a really special interview. Um, we're about to cut to it. It's a pre-recorded. We recorded it earlier than we're recording this podcast. Same day, though. Same day. Um, but you guys will really enjoy it a lot. A uh, special guest coming on right now. Alrighty, and of course we have to talk a little bit about the the World Cup draw, right, Trevor? We gotta we gotta get this in. Yeah, um, of course. It, it was a nice big uh, headline from this past week, and of course we had to bring on for a very special interview uh, the soccer encyclopedia himself, Josh Baskin. Josh, how are you today? You know, Brandon, I'm just glad that I get to be back on the number one sports podcast in the world. <laughs> oh, thank thank you for those high remarks. Um, you know, and it, it, honestly, Josh, it's been my first podcast back in a month, so I'm excited for you to be here with me. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about the World Cup um, and get into some kind of major headlines from this draw um, and, and other soccer news around the World Cup from this week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited. So, so Josh, oh, I'll, I'll start. Um, what I wanted to say is, obviously, we have the World Cup draw. We see the list of the groups. It's very interesting to me because, you know, unfortunately, I haven't been following as much. So, you know, one of the main reasons we have you here is to not only educate the audience, but also educate me and Brandon because I haven't been following as much as I would like to. So I wanted to start out, like, regarding, like, kind of the, the storylines. What are some of the biggest storylines from this World Cup that, that you want to talk about today? Yeah, you know, I mean, the first one, and in my opinion, the most obvious is what I told you before the pod. Um, this is Messi and Ronaldo's arguably last World Cup. You know, this is going to be their fifth World Cup. They're going to be, uh, you know, one of five other players to do so, or one of five players to do so, that is. Um, that's probably my first biggest storyline with this World Cup, as, you know, maybe the 2018 World Cup could have, you know, had similar storylines. Um, the next one is that, uh, in my opinion, Brazil has moved up to number one in the FIFA World Ranking. They've moved over uh, Belgium and their golden generation now for the first time in, you know, over four years or so. Um, and, you know, I think for Belgium in hand, this is also their, you know, last World Cup for their golden generation. Yes, they have a few young, talented players coming through the ranks, uh, some even over in Belgium and uh, across the world. But Belgium's last chance, in my opinion, with their golden generation. You've seen players, Trevor and Brandon, like Eden Hazard phase out now, even out mm -hmm. of Real Madrid, unfortunately. But that kind of uh, uh, generation is starting to fade away. Uh, and then also, no Italy. Uh, I know, Trevor, you looked at the rankings and were yeah. like, Italy's six, but they're not even in it. Uh, unfortunately, they couldn't get the job done. But also with uh, Italy not making it last World Cup as well, you had uh, the Netherlands not make it last year. They have qualified this year. They are in Group A uh, with Qatar, Ecuador, and Senegal, who did beat Mo Salah's Egypt in the last game for the uh, AFCON group or qualification spot, uh, and Mo Salah in Egypt, another storyline that uh, they will, he will not be taking part in this World Cup. One of my other last uh, storylines is Germany wants revenge this year. Another thing we spoke about before, Trevor, they're up in 14th, or excuse me, 12th place. USA's in 15th right now in the rankings, mm -hmm. so they're, uh, they're very close to, uh, uh, to the USA in those rankings, and they also you know, want revenge from 2018. They went out in the group uh, to South Korea. They lost 2-0 to them. They went down to Sweden. Uh, you know, they had a lot, a lot of problems back in 2018, that German team and not making out of the group. So they're going to want revenge 
Uh, and then the last uh, storyline is that I have the three spots up for grabs in a few groups. The first one is in USA's Group B, which I'll talk about soon. But in Group D uh, is the first intercontinental playoff with France, Denmark, and Tunisia. Uh, but you have Australia, who will be playing the UAE on June 7th. Uh, and then they will be going up against uh, Peru, and then New Zealand and Costa Rica will play for the last spot uh, in the uh, Group E with Spain, Germany, and Japan. Uh, but those are my biggest storylines, Trevor and Brandon. Yeah, so this is very interesting, you know, because there's a lot of things that, you know, the way that the qualifying works, that's very interesting. And I'm I'm, I'm still trying to, like, completely figure out. But I guess the first thing that I wanted to uh, respond to what you said about Italy. How, how did Italy not qualify? Because that's pretty surprising to me. Yeah, you know, Trevor, unfortunately, uh, as you know, in Europe, they're very dominant when it comes to the, the soccer world. Uh, unfortunately, they lost to North Macedonia in a semifinal 1-0. Really? Uh, North Macedonia scored in the 92nd minute to knock Italy out. And actually, uh, in my opinion, as a, as a Ronaldo fan over Messi, I don't know if you know this, but since Italy lost that game to North Macedonia, Portugal, all they had to do was beat Turkey, which they did 3-1, to one, and then they played North Macedonia for that last playoff spot. So North Macedonia, which I, they won, I, I know. Right, like North Macedonia, Portugal. I like know nothing about them. How, how could they beat Italy? Was that just like a very strange game that they, they no, happened you know, to pull a big upset? It's... It's funny you ask that. North Macedonia have had a big upset recently. They beat Germany in qualifying, actually, really? uh, when okay. Germany was kind of uh, bouncing back from their 2018 World Cup loss, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, but North Macedonia have put up the upset. As you know, Trevor, former soccer player, you know, they, they play like Jose Mourinho-esque. You know, they, they put a lot of defenders behind the ball. They oh, don't okay. really have a lot of chances, and they counterattack. And like I said, they scored in the 92nd minute when... Unfortunately, Italy had run themselves into the ground trying to push for a goal. They get the one goal that's needed, and they went on to play, like I said, Portugal to go to the World Cup, which they lost because the game was in Portugal. Bruno Fernandes uh, scored twice. Man, rough blow for Italy. I mean, that's just losing in that fashion, 92nd minute when, you After know. After <laughs> the summer, winning the Euro final over yeah. England in England. Yeah, I mean, I, is, uh, I mean, obviously— funny. Italy, like historically, I think of them since I've been like following soccer is like they are one of the powerhouses. They are always in the mix, so that's very surprising to me. Um, yeah, but and uh, real quick, Trevor. Yeah. Speaking of qualification, I did forget a storyline. Canada is back in the World Cup for the first time uh, okay. since 1986. Cool. So Canada's back in. I see they're in the group with Belgium, Croatia, and Morocco. Uh, but I did want to now uh, kind of get to the U.S. and their group. Um, and kind of what maybe the expectations are, what they should be, you know, for casual soccer fans. When they watch the World Cup coming up this fall, I think it's in November, um, what should we be looking forward to um, with the U.S. men's national team? Yeah, well, first Basically, thing, Josh, uh, yeah. What, what are our chances yeah. here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, one thing to mention first that you said, Trevor, the World Cup is in November. Uh, since it's in Qatar, the heat is way too bad mm -hmm. in the summer. So it's going to be during November through December, which means during your Thanksgiving break, you are going to be able to watch these games. The first game kicks off on, right. no on November 11th or 21st. I don't remember. I'm, I'm not looking it up right now at the moment. Uh, but the game is at 5 a.m. on a Monday, if anyone is interested, for the first game. That's Qatar mm -hmm. versus Ecuador. It's the 21st, by the way. Yep, that is Qatar versus Ecuador at 5 a.m. So... Uh, for you people out in California listening, it will uh, be a nice 2 a.m. kickoff for you on your Monday. <laughs> uh, but no, to get to both your guys' questions, um, you know, with the U.S. and expectations, I'll go through a little bit of that and a little bit of history in tandem in their group here. 
So the, the biggest thing with the U.S., as you know, since we didn't make the 2018 World Cup, this, this qualifying time was to qualify for the World Cup. That was the goal, and we did it. Now, we, we did it in the last game, of course. We were at Costa Rica. We lost 2-0. We didn't do it uh, in, a, in a nice send-off fashion. But anyway, we got the job done, and, and we made it to this World Cup, which is what we needed to do. Now, what is the next expectation? And Brandon, you hinted on it. What are the chances? What's the realistic expectation here? Mm-hmm. Now, when we look at this group, we have England, Erdogan, and a Euro playoff final, which I will mention now. As you all know, with what's going on in Ukraine, unfortunately, they still have a game to play, uh, and they will be going up against, uh, excuse me, I can't find it, Scotland. It will be Ukraine and Scotland, and the winner of them will play Gareth Bale and the Welsh Dragons uh, to go to the World Cup and be in that group. Now, when this happened, I did not want this Euro playoff final as uh, if... Wales were to make it, it would actually technically be the group of death. They have three teams in the top 21 of the FIFA World Rankings then, if uh, Wales were to make mm-hmm. it. Uh, however, Scotland and Ukraine, or that might be Ukraine actually, uh, but anyway, uh, Scotland, Ukraine, and Wales all have uh, very good quality players. Uh, three teams that I don't necessarily uh, or am happy with playing, but uh, three opponents which we should get a victory over. Uh, we have not played either three of those teams in a long time. We have played Wales and friendly mm-hmm. competitions. Uh, Scotland is very similar in the same breath. A team like Switzerland, who we lost to uh, as they were prepping for their Euro qualifications, they played U.S. in a friendly, and they beat us 2-1. But similar breath, as a lot of people are saying, is the 1998 group that the U.S. had at the World Cup, uh, which consisted of Iran, uh, uh, excuse me, FR Yugoslavia and Germany. So you have Iran, Yugoslavia can be your Scotland, Wales, you know, uh, Ukraine, and Germany is, uh, of course, uh, the powerhouse with England. Now, we have experience with, uh, like I said, Iran in the 2000, or excuse me, 1998 World Cup. Uh, we did lose 2-1 to one in Lyon. Uh, I don't know if you guys were expecting me to say that the U.S. lost to Iran 2-1 in that it World was Cup. Not. But uh, the U.S. has not gotten a victory over them, uh, as they haven't played them, of course. But when we look at 2010, this will be a lot of people's, or a lot of casuals, maybe first World Cup experience with the USA. They were in a group with England, Slovenia, and Algeria. Uh, the first game of the group, the USA did play England. Steven Gerrard opened the goal scoring uh, in the uh, eighth minute or fourth minute, I believe, uh, off Emil Heskey assist. But uh, that game is most remembered for the England goalie, Robert Green, trying to save Clint Dempsey's shot from outside the box. He let it bobble through his hands, and it gave the U.S. a point. With that point, the USA finished in first in that group over England. They went on to play Ghana, which they lost 2-1 to one in. Uh, but... With, like I said, prior history and experience, we have played with England. This is a very anticipated game. If we don't win this game, which should be a winnable game, in my opinion, out of all the pot A teams, the strongest European teams, in my opinion, this is our best matchup. I didn't want to play Argentina. or Excuse me, not European teams, but I didn't want to play Argentina, Portugal, France, Belgium, Brazil. I'm happy with England as the next best could have been Group A with Qatar. Uh, and then the last team, like I mentioned, uh, or no, I already mentioned Scotland, Ukraine, and uh, and Wales. But yeah, realistic expectations, guys. We should be finishing first in this group. We've done it before really? with England in here, and England are are really and, and England have proved that they are a better team, obviously. But like I said, with prior experience, the USA uh, has a young, rejuvenated team. Some people to look out for in this World Cup. Obviously, Christian Pulisic from Chelsea. It will be a very fun time to see him go up against his English teammates mm-hmm. uh, over at Chelsea. You'll definitely see the likes of Mason Mount and Reese James, at least, uh, from that England side, in my opinion. Maybe some others thrown in there, like a Tammy Abraham from Roma, who did play with Chelsea. Um, 
But with the U.S., you have a lot of uh, depth in this team now. You have a very strong, mm-hmm. solid 11, mostly consisting of European talents. Uh, you have our right back, Sergio Dest, who's half Dutch, chose USA, plays for and starts for right back at Barcelona, came from the I, uh, Ajax over in Netherlands. You have a player, Weston McKennie, who a lot of people know about from Juventus, um, Pulisic, I mentioned. But my favorite player and the one to look out for is number 8 or 11, depending, Gio Reyna. He's a 19-year-old from Borussia Dortmund, the same club Pulisic came from. However, in my opinion, ever since Gio Reyna has been there since 17, he's been at a higher stage or at least a higher progression than Pulisic was during his time there, uh, starting back in 2014 and going on the way through 2017 before Chelsea picked him up. So those mm-hmm. are my realistic expectations. If they don't finish first, they definitely have to finish second. If they right. do not make it to the round of 16, this is not good. Yeah. This will not be good for the U.S. This is the chance to bring a lot of new fans that didn't get to see the USA in the World Cup in 2018 here now. This is also going to be a big momentum and boost for the World Cup in 2026, which the USA, Canada, and Mexico are hosting. So even though it will be a free qualification, you do not want to lose that spark and that drive and momentum for another four years if the U.S. team does not perform well. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So that, that's kind of surprising. All right, Trevor. Yeah. Trevor, any, anything else you kind of want to ask to wrap up uh, Team USA's little run here in the World Cup? Yeah, talk? so last quick thing. I was just looking at the odds. It looks like Brazil is, I guess, the betting favorite. Uh, then you have following uh, France, England, uh, Spain, and Argentina. So if you were to give, like, you know, uh, maybe, a, maybe a best bet, maybe a team that has lower odds— that you think could have an outside chance to win the World Cup, who who do you think that would be? So I'll kind of do like a mini prediction slash a mini dark horse team mm-hmm. or two to look out for here. So Brazil, obviously being number one rejuvenated, uh, they are going to be a big odds-on favorite. However, like I mentioned before, there's two players on this planet that have gone up against each other in the primes of their careers and will go down as the number one and two players in history. You should put a future on at least Portugal or Argentina. I told you before the pod, one of them's got to win it this year. This might be their last World Cup, possibly. I know people said it in 2018. But if one of them wants to be certified, as I mentioned with that Jordan and James conversation, which I know a lot of people do and don't like to have, if you're going to put them in that same conversation and category, one of them's got to take the biggest prize in football. And then in, in, and then in football, with right, like like who? Like Pele and who else would you consider? Like as far as like the GOATs of soccer yeah the the mount rushmore is ronaldo messi maradona and pele but you also have your categories of johan cruyffs and uh you also have you know your defender shouts like your maldinis uh, and your beckenbauer old school players but uh i don't even know if you guys have any idea Mm -hmm. of of, of any of them beckenbauer yeah Uh, but uh anyway some dark horse teams um, that I personally like and that do perform somewhat decently. You know, this is maybe Croatia's last, last shot with that Luka Modric-driven midfield. You know, they did make it to the final in 2018. They do have that experience now. 2014, they didn't play too great. They were in a group with Brazil at home, uh, but which uh, did also have Mexico and Cameroon. So it was a, a group of life there. But like I said, uh, the Netherlands are back. They're a team you might want to look out for, even though they are a top-nine nation. They haven't been in that playoff or World Cup final for a long time now, or long time, four years. Um, and then a super, super, super dark horse, I love Senegal out of the African, uh, out of the African region. Okay. Um, 
I, with Sadio Mane, there have a lot of other players I really like that I can name, but you guys would have zero mm-hmm. clue who they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to do that. Um, and if you're a casual, you know, I think this is a redemption also maybe for a team like Spain. You know, they won it in 2010. They had a poor performance really in 18. And uh, 14, they also kind of played crap. So mm-hmm. a team like yeah. Spain who are maybe flying under the radar is another big team in that Netherlands category that uh, might surprise a few fans. But, of course, you know, your Portugal, your France, your Argentina, uh, and, and your Brazil, you've got your big dogs. But, like I said, I've... Uh, Senegal probably is my true dark horse. Very interesting. All right, well, Josh, thank you, as always, for coming on um, and talking to us, you know, with the soccer encyclopedia, as we call you. Um, <clears throat> we would love if you would stay for our randomly ranked segment, Josh. Of I, I think you enjoyed this one. Real quick, I want to give a bold prediction. Uh, oh, I, okay. I, I want to give my top score prediction at this oh. World Cup, actually, if you don't mind. Get it there on record. Is, there is no. a... There is a kid in Group H that plays for Uruguay, Darwin Nunez. He's a 23-year-old from Benfica. Uruguay will get out of that group and finish second with Portugal. Gone and career gone. Watch out for that Darwin mm-hmm. Nunez kid. He's 23. He plays for Benfica. He's torching teams right now. He's very young, but he's a, a dark horse for goal scorer of the tournament. Cavani and Suarez are on their way out. Uruguay need a goal scorer. Interesting. Well, I'm very excited for that. But let's get to a randomly ranked segment here. Um, and as three men who, who love our video games, well, one, not so much anymore, but definitely between me, you, and Josh, we, we like our video games. You know, we're big Call of Duty fans. And we thought, let's let's just put our top three maps out there, top three Call of Duty maps. Um, so so I'll, I'll start it off today. Um, and these, this was hard because really there's like 15 maps that all deserve to be in in uh Maybe some aspect in 15, like a, honestly it, there's a lot of great maps there really is a lot of great maps but if i have to put it down to three um you'll see a common theme with all three of mine if you if you know these these maps and what call of duty is uh my number three i have to go with high rise uh i mean everything but high rise is perfect there's there's really nothing what not game is that brandon it. can you name the game please the, the game is modern warfare 2 uh call of duty modern warfare 2 um for our, and for our it, listeners that aren't as uh, True. Knowledgeable. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Which they should. Be. Uh, it's a it's a fabulous map. There's there's a nice you know kind of hidden little Easter egg on top of the one building. You can kind of get everywhere on the map. There's all these neat little spots. It's a great quick scoping map. It's just everything about it's wonderful. Uh, number two, I got to go with Terminal. Uh, not only is it a great multiplayer map, but on top of that, it's great for trip shotting. It's great for mini games with friends. Everything about it's great and the best map of, of all time. And that's also for Modern Warfare Two, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two. Uh, which is the greatest game of all time as well. Um, and number one, we got to go with Rust. Uh, I mean, everything about Rust is perfect. I, I absolutely love it. The mayhem on that map, the, the little interesting spots you can get into, everything about it is wonderful, and that's why it's my number one. Josh, would you like to go second or would you like to go last? I will go second. Um, all right, let's hear it. Uh, we'll leave Top it three with, maps. with Trevor and the host is last, or co-host for Brandon. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, co-host. You, you will you will see a theme here as well with mine. I do have to give an honorable mention to the one and only Nuketown. I couldn't put it in my top three, Brandon and, and, and listeners, because, yes, it's a great map, but it, it's been in so many now, and there's been so many reiterations Getting of it. Getting kind of ruined. It's not that it's ruined, but you know how it's going to play. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, Brandon, you go to Chick-fil-A, you know you're going to get the Chick-fil-A sandwich. You know what you're going to get out of it every time. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. But there's some other maps with a little more versatility. Uh, that you like a little more. 
So number three, uh, we are going to go with Hijacked from Black Ops 2. Uh, of course, a smaller three-lane map uh, on the boat off the beautiful shores of Cove of Black Ops 2. Uh, but you also have the underground area, which causes mayhem. Uh, Professional Hardpoint used to be on that game back in 2012, uh, and that was Chaos. Optic won a tournament on that. But great map. Number two, you have Standoff from Black Ops 2. That was the last game that also had uh, CTF. Uh, with Black Ops 2 in the competitive scene. Amazing map. You have the top grandma that you can look over the whole map uh, to A and B bomb. Great map. And then number one, you have to have Raid. It's been in Black Ops 2. It's recently been in Cold War. It speaks for itself. Brandon, I'm surprised that you didn't have Raid in your top three or even Standoff for that matter. I, uh, Standoff I actually like better out of the two, but um, it doesn't beat the Modern Warfare 2 maps. It just doesn't. Trevor, right. top three Call of Duty maps. All right, so... You know, for some of the listeners, they might have no idea about this topic, but we, you know, we had to do this because for all for our enjoyment, obviously, we love uh, Call of Duty. I used to play a lot more, not as much anymore. Um, but um, all of my maps are going to be Modern Warfare 2 maps because Modern Warfare 2 is the greatest video game ever created. And um, as my I'm parents, outnumbered and outmanned, <laughs> you are outnumbered. And as by, by the smarter two opinions, <laughs> so it's okay. And as my parents know, I spent a lot of hours uh, playing Modern Warfare 2, you know, back in 2012, 2013, 2011, you know, those years when I was in middle school, maybe even freshman year of high school. So I'm gonna start off with Favela. Um, Favela is a great map. I used to play a lot of Search and Destroy specifically, um, so my maps are all going to have a little bit of a theme. They're going to be uh, generally bigger maps, I would say. I'm not going to have a Rust, even though Rust is an amazing map. I, I tend to like the bigger maps with more space that have higher, I guess, platforms you play that the you could jump of off duties. of. Okay. Yeah, the new Call of Duties, all we got is big yeah, maps. Huge maps, right. Um, so Favela, that's my number three. Number three, I'm, or number two, I'm going to go with Terminal. Terminal is just um, nearly perfect. It's it's so great. Everything about it. You can play a bunch of different mini games on it. Um, you know, where you can get on the, the plane. There's the one plane you can get on to. Um, and then you could, like, get on all the way up on the top wing and jump off of it. It had another thing where you could get, spot in the you back. could, like, glitch and you can get out of the map. Yeah, so there was a bunch of cool things about Terminal. Amazing map for really any game mode. Like anything anything you want to do, Terminal's great for it. And then number one, I had to go with it because it, it's just like the epitome of fun. It's And it's high-rise. I have to go high-rise at number one. It's oh, incredible. Um, again, versatile with the different game modes. You can get on top of the building. Uh, you know, if you jump on the, the little thing, climb up it. You can get on top of that building. Um, you can also get on like the. You can get on the cranes. Yeah, the crane. There's so many uh, great things. The side to do. ledges at the bottom. Yeah, the How side ledges. It's insane. Have you seen on YouTube with the music beat drop on high rise as well? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, high rise like is legendary. A, Endless. It's it's a sniper's playground. Yes, exactly. So really high rise is. had to be my number one. Well, Josh, I'd like to say thank you once again for coming on. Uh, you, you contributed. In such a fabulous way, I know the the listeners will absolutely love it. Of course, thank um, you for having me. And for all you listeners, drop your favorite three Call of Duty maps on in the comments or on Twitter, wherever Brandon and Trevor go to tell you. I want to see them. I want to see how bad opinions of your Call of Duty maps you have. <laughs> what good ones? Or they good might ones. they might agree with me, so it might be a good one. Um, but again, thank you so much, Josh. And we will now send it back to talk about the NBA. 
Alrighty, welcome back, guys, to the main part of the podcast. Like I did just say, we are going to head over to our NBA segment. Hopefully, you enjoyed our special interview with the Soccer Encyclopedia. I mean, Trevor, I love having that man on. I love it. He's just the best. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't know where else I'm going to get educated about about soccer, you know, unless I'm actually in that magnitude. Watching, yeah, also. in that magnitude. So it's, it's like the talking to you way. about the NBA. Yeah, it's the easiest way for me to like get caught up on what's happening in in soccer. So I I really of appreciate course. Josh, obviously. Of course, but let's let's get to the NBA here, Trevor. This is your wheelhouse for sure. Um, and we we've got some big takeaways, big games happening this week. Next Bucks, we have Lakers, Pelicans. A couple other things you want to talk about. Why don't you start us off here? Yeah, so I mean, this week and the NBA scheduling, uh, it, it really worked out here at the end of the season because there were so many in-conference matchups that have stakes for how the playoff seeding is going to shake out. One of the biggest ones, well, I would say the single biggest one because it was an incredible game that I'll start with, is the Bucks and the Nets. The Bucks beat the Nets on Thursday, 120 to 119 in overtime. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo had 44 points, 14 rebounds, and six assists. Just insane. He hit the game-tying three in regulation and then also um, hit the two game-winning free throws, um, which followed up with Kevin Durant missing a three at the top of the key. It rolled in and out. He had another chance, uh, you know, somewhat similar to to last year in the semis. Um, He missed this one that would have won the game. And, you know, there's a couple different interesting things here. From the Bucs' standpoint, uh, they're the two seed. I think they're a game and a half back from the, the Miami Heat, my team who is a little bit more rejuvenated. I'll talk about them a little bit more later. But the Bucks here, they're the two seed. They're in a pretty good spot right now. And then you also have Giannis, who he's kind of making this late MVP push. You know, we have the mm-hmm. top three, Jokic and Bede, Giannis. Giannis, weirdly, has been the one that's, I would say, least talked about in the media. But now he's kind of making this push. He had a great, uh, you know, game against the Nets. He also had another really good game earlier in the week against the 76ers where he had the game-winning, basically the the block on Joel Embiid that kind of helped win it against the 76ers. So Giannis, he's really making the push. And I've been saying it for a few months now, the Milwaukee Bucks are probably the safest team to bet on in the Eastern Conference. I still believe that. I think they're the best team in the East. Uh, mm-hmm. The safest team for sure. Um, and then from the Nets side, they actually, after losing to Milwaukee, they played the Atlanta Hawks last night. And the Atlanta Hawks beat them. Uh, Kevin Durant was basically uh, playing one on five out there. I think he had like 55 points, and the Nets still lost because he wasn't getting a lot of help uh, from other guys. Seth Curry did not play in this game. Kyrie had a pretty bad shooting night, and other guys were pretty much zeros, to be honest. So Brooklyn's in a tough spot. They are now uh, tied with the Charlotte Hornets um, for that nine spot. The Atlanta Hawks are a game ahead of them for the eight spot. So now the Brooklyn Nets, they only have four games left in the season. If they are in the 9 or the 10 spot, they have to win two games in a row just to make the playoffs, which is pretty wild because if the Nets don't make the playoffs, uh, I, as a Heat fan, would certainly be relieved. I think a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference would be relieved, um, but that's a real possibility, um, the fact that they might not make it. So we'll see. We're going to find out, um, I think, by the end of next week. Uh, you know, kind of how it shakes out. But the Nets, the, you know, they're they're in a tough spot. I mean, wh- what do you think about that, Brandon? The fact that the Brooklyn Nets, as as talented as they are, when they are all healthy, might not make the playoffs. 
You know, it, it's interesting you ask me this because I actually have a slightly different perspective. It's, it's a little bit less about the Nets, but I, I want to talk more about how impressive this Warriors run we had, um, you know, these past few years. Like, it's not easy to have these super teams. It's not. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of issues, especially when those guys go down. And I really think, like, just, like, seeing how, like, the Lakers look and how the Nets are, I mean, they're, like, 10th and 11th, right, in in their respected conferences. Yeah, so the Lakers are 11th. They're a game back from the Spurs to even make the play-in. So it's it's the type of thing where it's, like, I mean, it's ridiculous, but they, uh, I mean, the Warriors, I, they did it for so long, and they're still doing it. You know, the Warriors are still a good basketball team. Yeah. So it's crazy to see the Nets in this position. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly wild. Uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. Um, they have some big games this week. Um, so we will see. Uh, with the Brooklyn Nets, obviously Kevin Durant's been incredible. Um, you know, there's been a couple – there was a really good article I read about Kevin Durant and just like uh, how he's kind of at peace. It's an article on The Ringer. Uh, it was a really good uh, piece about Kevin Durant. Um but, you know, we'll see what happens with them. Uh, the next story I wanted to talk about is the Clippers. Uh, the Clippers, I mean, last year they were in the Western Conference Finals without Kawhi Leonard. They obviously had the pretty crazy run against the Jazz in the semis where they made all those three-pointers, I think, in Game 6, went on to win Game 7. And without Kawhi Leonard, they were in the Western Conference Finals. Now the Clippers just got Paul George back. He was He was down with injury. They have him back. We don't know about Kawhi. It's a big question mark. Obviously, Kawhi is maybe the most unpredictable person in the entire NBA. You know, it's hard to know what he's going to do. It's hard to know if he's going to get healthy at, at time. We have no idea. But I would say, well, what I'll say first is even without Kawhi, I think they could potentially be a dangerous team. They're currently sitting at the eight seed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're definitely going to be in the play-in tournament. So they'll either be the seven or the eight seed. Well, I guess they have to win a game to, to make the playoffs. But assuming they do... The Clippers could be an interesting first-round matchup for the Phoenix Suns or the Memphis Grizzlies, which are the top two seeds. Because mm-hmm. with Paul George, as I mentioned, they you know they're really good. So that'll be interesting. And then if they get Kawhi back, then like they might be the favorites. Like there's a realistic possibility where if Kawhi just out of nowhere says, "Oh, I'm I'm ready, I'm back for Game One of the playoffs or Game One in the play-in," and then they go and they play the Memphis Grizzlies, that might be a two-seven matchup where the Clippers are favored in that series. So, yeah. uh, you know, we'll see what happens with that. That should be a really interesting storyline. Last thing, uh, the Boston Celtics. Now, I was prepared to come on this podcast and say the Boston Celtics are very much contenders to win the championship. However, uh, one of their uh, most important players, especially for their defense, Robert Williams, their center, um, is out currently. Uh, he did go down with an injury. He's supposed to come back either the first or second round of the playoffs. But, I mean, you know, the Boston Celtics, they're the best defensive team in the NBA right now. Uh, they have a, a, a great point differential. It's the best point differential in the uh, Eastern Conference. And they've been on just like this incredible hot streak, really, since the, the, new, the new calendar year, uh, since 2022 started. The Celtics have been on an incredible run. But without Robert Williams now, there's kind of a little bit of pushback. Like, are they actually... Uh, a contender still so it's gonna be really interesting to see with the Celtics um, mm-hmm. they just played my Miami Heat on Wednesday the Heat did get a very important victory over Boston but you know Boston there they've kind of put a lot of pieces together Marcus Smart he's really taken ownership of that point guard role uh, you know and Tatum has just been incredible Jalen Brown's been really good 
Um, you know, and they've been, you know, the Derek White edition, the Celtics have been really solid. So we will see what happens with that. Um, again, in the Eastern Conference specifically, but in the West as well, a lot of uh, seeding, uh, you know, things to come out of this upcoming week. We will see what happens um, because particularly in the East, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, last quick thing, my small baller player of the week is going to be Cade Cunningham. Yes, the Pistons suck. They do. They're 22-56. and 56. However, Cade Cunningham has been putting up huge numbers lately. Uh, they just beat the Pistons, or they, they are the Pistons. They just beat the 76ers on Thursday. Cade Cunningham had 27 points, 6 assists, and 2 rebounds. I believe he's been averaging like, I think it's like 23 points, 7 rebounds, and 6 assists, or something like that um, in the last couple months. So Cade Cunningham, he's really making a push here for Rookie of the Year. I still think he's probably third behind Mobley and Scotty Barnes, but he's making a case. So really good to see from Cade Cunningham. Uh, you know, he just incredibly talented uh, point guard that, yeah. you know, is is one of the upcoming stars in this league. So Trevor, question for you about the small baller player of the week. Can a first overall pick be a small baller? Well, I mean, he's a rookie, right? So I don't know. I think, I think if you're well, LeBron a LeBron was a rookie. Yeah, LeBron was a rookie, but like I think if, I think if you're a rookie, I think you got to be eligible. I don't know. For me, I don't know if I, if I, I were to. We need some tweets about this. <laughs> I need some questions. I don't. I don't know about this. We'll see. I, I, I never. I, I got to question the methodology here. I've never set explicit. It parameters, seems like the rich get richer. But what what should they be? What should the parameters be? Because I could gotta say. Got to be a player you don't expect. You expect Kate Cunningham to be good. But it, but it, he started off slow. At the beginning of the season. So now that he's come on strong and he put together a really good week, you know, a couple good performances against one of the best teams in the East in Philly, I, you know, I was like, you know, got to gotta give Kate Cunningham some love, you know. We never talk about the Detroit Pistons on this podcast, you know, probably rightfully so. But I was like, let's give some love to Cade. So that's why I, I don't know. It seems a little fishy to me. But let's, let's move uh, to a little bit lower level of basketball, but at the same time, just as intense – we have, of course, the Final Four, uh, college basketball here, and we had one, uh, one not great game, right, Trevor? They, well, it wasn't the greatest game of basketball we've ever seen. We had one amazing game, really yeah. fun to watch. Um, yeah. But let's let's start with the not quite as fun game: Villanova uh, versus Kansas. Kansas ended up winning eighty-one sixty-five. Um, sad that Villanova wasn't fully healthy. I would have liked to see them. We talk about this, Trevor. Is Villanova America's team? America's college basketball team? I mean, to me, they are. To me, they're America's team. I was. I feel like everyone likes them a little, you know? Yeah, I like, mean... what do we got against... It? Like, everyone likes Jay Wright. They always seem to have guys that just, like, work hard. Yeah, I mean... Like, my the... dad was telling me... My dad was telling me that the year that uh, Arakido, you know, he did, like, little pick play and they won the championship. Chris Jenkins, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, Chris yeah. Jenkins hit the shot and Arakido hit the little, you know... His brother's on the team this year. Yeah. Um. Do you know who was riding the bench that year? He got some. He got some minutes. But you know who's riding the bench? No, Ryan was uh, their starting point guard. I'm pretty sure. No, no, no. I was saying. I'm asking you. Do you know who was riding the bench that year? Like he got some minutes, but he was a bench oh. player, a role player. In 2016, you're saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um. I think Jalen. Well, because Josh Hart was like the best player, and then they had Jenkins, and I think Jalen Brunson was on the bench. Well, because then, right? Because I think I think Jalen. I don't know enough who the, who that's if that's who you're talking about. But I think Jalen Brunson might have been on the bench. What if I game. told you that the player this year 
He's averaging 14 points. He's shooting super efficiently. 54% from the field, 38% from three, and a vital player on one of the best teams in the league. Wait, are you talking about Colin Gillespie? No, I'm talking about Mikel Bridges. Oh. He got 15 oh, minutes oh, yeah. in that final game. 15 okay, minutes. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's an amazing role player in the NBA. Oh, yeah. Mikel Bridges. Absolutely. It just seems like Villanova has these guys that people love. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, like, Mikel Bridges. Who doesn't like Mikel Bridges? Colin Gillespie. Like, yeah. He's great players. Yeah, I mean, Mikel Bridges is, like, one of my favorite players in the NBA now. He's, like... That's why I was I, I, yeah. I was asking you the question. I knew you'd like the answer. He's an incredible role player that could fit on, like, yeah. any NBA team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, you know, d- dive into this game. I, I kind of cut you off. I'll yeah, no, continue. you're good. Um, yeah, I had a little bit of a different experience watching this game. I wasn't at home. I wasn't, like, completely locked in. I was at a bar watching with some friends, but it was still it was still very fun. You know, like, it was a, it was a fun game. Yes, it wasn't super close. Um, and it was unfortunate that Justin Moore couldn't play because Justin Moore not only is very important to Villanova's offense, he's a good shooter, good scorer, he also is normally the player that guards the opposing team's best player, best perimeter player, I should say. So he would have been the guy that was probably guarding Ochai Ibaji, you know, a large part of the game. Um, and Ochai Ibaji, coincidentally, had 21 points in this game. He shot 6 of 7 from 3, 6 of 8 overall. Uh, he had the, an incredible block late in the game. I mean, Ochai Baji, he's just an incredible player. Um, and he, on the biggest stage, showed what he could do last night. I mean, he's had performances like this in the regular season. Uh, there was one game, I think, in Big 12 play that went to double overtime where he had like 37 points, and he was just like hitting big shot after big shot. And I was just like, man, this this guy is is so good. And, and, you know, he's been at Kansas, obviously, for quite a few years now. Um, he's a very experienced veteran. But Ochai, I mean, he's he's a star. And he's going to be in the NBA. I think he might be a lottery pick. Like, what he can do on the offensive end, create shots for himself, uh, for others. I mean, he could step right in. And, you know, coming off the bench yeah. on, like, a decent NBA team and, like, you know, make make an impact for sure. I think I think he's that type of player, and he you know he can make you know big defensive plays every now and then, like we saw with that one block he had late uh, in the game. But yeah, I mean, obviously we would have liked it to be a closer game, a better game. Uh, Villanova at one point I think they cut it to like six, like mid mid second half. But then Kansas, you know, they kept they kept throwing counter punches. They kept coming back. And uh, David McCormick was dominant in this game. 25 points, 9 rebounds. He shot 10 of 12. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was another problem for Villanova. Just guarding David McCormick one-on-one, that wasn't the greatest uh, matchup for Villanova. So Kansas, they were the better team. Um, they showed that. And, you know, we're, we're going to talk about this other game. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it, was a, it was still a pretty interesting game. But this other game was legendary. Yes, uh, let's just get to it. Uh, this North Carolina Duke game, 81-77, North Carolina pulled this off. I For the whole game, it's so interesting, Trevor. I had no investment in this game. I didn't really care who won. I didn't care. Like, it, didn't, it didn't really matter to me. But, like, I was so, like, not emotionally vested in this game at all. But at the same time, I was, like, sweating the whole game. And it's crazy because, like, like, North Carolina basically plays five players. Uh, they, don't, they don't sub anyone, it seems <laughs> like, which is crazy. Uh, this whole game was just nuts, Trevor. Just break it down for the for the the people at home. Yeah. So I mean, everyone watched. So <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. But everyone watched. I mean, it was going back and forth. Like there was, I think Duke's largest lead was like seven points, but 
it never got beyond that. It was a pretty back and forth game throughout. Like Paolo Bencaro had a pretty solid game um, in this one. Like he had, let's see, he had 20 points in this one, 10 rebounds. He was really good. Like he showed why, you know, he should possibly be the number one pick. If not the number one pick, then the second or the third, definitely. He was really good. Um, AJ Griffin had a little bit of a, you know, a bad shooting night. He was 0 for 4 from 3. Mm-hmm. Not not a great night for him. Not what you want uh, necessarily. Um, and, and Mark Williams, my favorite Duke player, you know, he was he was good, not great. He he did all right, but he only played 17 minutes, which was kind of interesting. Obviously, I think he did get in a little bit of foul trouble there. That's kind of why, um, which did hurt Duke a little bit. Uh, and then from the Carolina perspective, I mean, I, I think we have to start with Caleb Love because Caleb Love, I mean, I, I was listening to Tyson Tate's podcast and uh, Tate Frazier, who's a huge Carolina Tar Heel fan, said that uh, Caleb Love is the Coach K slayer. He is the he is the slayer of Coach K's career, and he very much was. I mean, Caleb Love, he's a guy who was a five-star prospect. He was highly regarded coming out of high school. He was supposed to be, like, you know, thought of as, like, a potential lottery pick, but obviously his season's been so up and down that he isn't really in the picture at all now. Uh, but Caleb Love had 28 points in this game, four rebounds. He shot 11-20 overall. And it seemed like Caleb Love was just like, you know, uh, you know, you know, uh, Armando Baycott, Brady Manick, R.J. Davis, everyone get on my back. I'm just going to take every single big shot. I'm not afraid of the moment. I'm going to take every huge shot in this game that there is. And either we're going to win with me, you know, shooting or we're going to lose with me shooting. And Caleb Love made enough big shots. He made the one incredible shot that I think put North Carolina up with like a minute left or something like that. And it was like a 20, it was like top of the key, like a 26, 27 footer. And I remember saying, like I was watching uh, with my friend, I was just like, of course he takes this shot. Like as he released, I was like, of course he's taking this. And it went in and, and the whole place kind of went nuts, the, the restaurant I was at. And I mean, Caleb Love, he just was incredible in this game. Uh, Armando Baycott, a uh, little bit of a s- small night for him, not not as great, but Caleb Love was very good. RJ Davis. 21 rebounds. Yeah, okay, he did have 21 rebounds. From from a scoring perspective, it was slow. But yes, he had, he had 21 rebounds. Armando Baycott was great. You're correct. <laughs> Thanks for correcting me. Um, but yeah, it, it's like, man, it's man, just and like, he fouled out. He only played 30. He played the fewest amount of minutes of all the stars. <laughs> he had 21 rebounds. I yeah. think he like tied the record or something. You're coming. You can't disrespect yeah, Armando no, like no. that. No, Armando was great. <laughs> but um, I mean, just like... The fact that Carolina, they go and they beat Coach K in his final game in Cameron. Then they meet up in the Final Four, which has never happened. Mm-hmm. Duke Carolina have never played uh, in the tournament at, at this stage. And this is Coach K's last game. He's done. North Carolina takes him out in his last game ever. And, I mean, for the rivalry, which, in my opinion, this is the greatest rivalry in sports. I think I've said that multiple times on this podcast in the past. And we got another amazing moment for the rivalry. And now, honestly— like, North Carolina, they kind of have, like, the upper hand, I, I think you could argue, in this rivalry. Like, the fact that—I think they already have more national titles. I think head-to-head matchups, I think they have more wins. And now they do. It's not even they, that close. They take out Coach K in, in, in Cameron, and then again in the Final Four. It's just—it's crazy. Um, it's crazy. It, it puts the farewell tour to rest. Um, and then, you know, we do have to say, like, Coach K, incredible career, right? Like, five national titles— you know, Olympic gold medals with USA basketball. It's all amazing. But 
the fact that North Carolina got this win, for me, it was the preferred ending, personally. And, um, you know, national championship, uh, UNC Kansas. It's going to be awesome. It is going to be great. So let's, let's you know, wrap up here with this, this national championship game. Trevor, let's give your uh, official prediction. Yeah, so, I mean, on paper, right? <laughs> like, on paper, and you could say the same thing about Duke, North Carolina. Like, on paper, Duke's the better team. Um, on paper, Kansas is better than North Carolina. And Kansas, um, they weren't my original title pick, but once I saw the Final Four, I was like, I think Kansas is going to win it all. I, th- I had Kansas and Duke, but I was like, I think Kansas is good enough to beat Duke in the national title game. I think they'll beat Villanova because Justin Morris hurt. And I think I still would stick with that. I still think Kansas will win the game. I mean, Ochai Baji, again, he's he's the star. I think he'll be the best player in that game on Monday. Uh, and again, David McCormick is is just pretty uh, unstoppable at times. So I think Kansas will win the game. But again, you never know. You never know. When you have a Caleb Love on your team and he can just go off in any moment, you never truly know. But I think Kansas is the better team, and I think they will uh, win a close one. I'm going to go with North Carolina just to be different, pretty much. I got North Carolina by four again. Again. Okay. Um, but, Trevor, I think we'll, we'll wrap up the pod there today, unless there's anything else you wanted to, you know, quickly touch on. No, I think that's it. It was an incredible Final Four, I thought. Um, and it's been great so an, far. I'm excited for Monday yeah, night. Hopefully we get an awesome championship game. We will, for sure. Um, but we'll wrap up the pod there for today. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, of course, subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review if you enjoyed it. Shout-out to Josh for being on this one. As always, he's just the best to come on. We, we love having him. Um, go follow him on Instagram or whatever. Hopefully, I'll link it in the description. I probably won't, but if I do, go follow him. Uh, of course, follow us on Twitter at the Small Baller to keep up to date when all of our podcasts go live. With that being said, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Go Falcons!